Support for Elwood City Limits is made possible by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Email. Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. And by subscribing on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. Thank you. And, and my free time. Hey, sup? It's the uh, Elwood City Limits podcast. Wow, that sounds incredibly unenthused. Welcome to the Elwood City Limits podcast. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I'm all over the place. I, I don't have a scripted intro for this, as you can tell. My name is Will Young, and this is, once more, the Elwood City Limits podcast, the episodic delving into Arthur, PBS series from 1996 to now. And with me through this uh, traipse through Elwood City is uh, my friend and co-host, Lucas Mancini. Oh, sorry, Will. You caught me with a mouthful of cereal. I was just finished eating before I uh, uh, chew in the listeners' ears. Yeah, yeah they're not going to like that. I'm gonna, Okay, it's all... Those are going to be our first complaints to the show of just like they're going to email in and be like, Stop chewing in the microphone! I'm I was sorry, like, I, was, just, I was just... I was having my... Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's right. Delicious, delicious cereal. You're trying to save up for uh, to enter the Crunch Cereal Contest. Trying to get those box tops. I got to get those box tops. In this economy right now, payday's tomorrow, Will, and I'm feeling it. I need every box top I could get. And for some reason, you feel the need to uh, to eat it all despite you know just needing the box top. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we are a duo who is making our way through Arthur, one of our favorite shows, and we're going to get into it today with a pair of episodes. This week we're talking about one episode that we were very, very excited about, Arthur and the Crunch Cereal Contest, and it's uh, sister episode, D.W. Flips, literally in that case, sister episode. So Arthur and the Crunch Cereal Contest is the first one. Arthur starts it off by practicing the piano, playing a little bit of Name That Tune with the audience. So first he's playing, you know, simple melodies like Chopsticks and London Bridge. And then he uh, plays something that we've never heard before. I was one for three on this. I oh. recognized London Bridge, Chopsticks, big old fat goose egg for Lucas in terms of guessing the song. Was not familiar with Chopsticks. Uh, and I was, of course, not familiar with the uh, Crunch cereal theme. Uh, chopsticks, I feel like, is something that would be recognizable to maybe music students sooner because I'm not super familiar with it myself. I, I know it enough, but not as well as, like, London Bridge. Yeah, so Arthur uh, says that he made up a tune uh, for a contest and is going to re- relate that story to us. DW <laughs> decides to interrupt in a very unique and humorous way. She comes in with a colander on her head, and she's banging her head with a ladle and a pan, just making a uh, humongous din. Enters, banging the pots, banging the colander on her head, stands around for a little bit, and then walks out. This was the 90s. This was before people were aware of CTE. (laughs) Because, trust me, it is not good for you you to be doing that. Do you think she was that at risk? Uh, I, I would I would say so. Yes, the colander looked pretty sturdy, and I mean it's uh, it's, it's her dad, so probably you know kitchen kitchen uh, appro- approved, real kitchen thick, restaurant thick, restaurant grade. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, I'm not willing to find out. You won't catch me hitting myself on the head 
with a with a colander on anytime soon. Yeah, my colander's pl- like plastic and shaped like a lemon, so that it wouldn't make good sound anyway. So the episode begins with Dad making some kind of white oatmeal concoction the, for breakfast on a snowy morning. Some real, like he says, real stick to your ribs, which is a definitely a dad saying. My dad says that a lot about uh, types of food he likes. So he tries to dole it out, but it is just too thick, and he says. <laughs> It seems the baking soda has reacted with the molasses. Now, he must be making oatmeal, Homemade. like real from scratch oatmeal. He must have, like, sewn his own oats <laughs> uh, in order to combine it with baking soda and molasses. Yuck. That's a real dad food right there, too. Oh, see, maybe I'm getting too old because I was stoked about this. The, the family's, like, disgusted. They don't want to have any part of this oatmeal. And me, I've grown to appreciate things like good homemade oatmeal in my my elder years of 22 years old. But I could see how a kid wouldn't be so stoked about it. Sure. And, I mean, I eat a lot more oatmeal these days, too. It's good for you, and it can taste good. But, uh, yeah, it's not exactly holding up in a kid's eyes to uh, crunch cereal, with which Arthur happily accepts as a substitute. His mom seemed really dejected that they weren't getting that homemade oatmeal. <laughs> She's like, we'll have to make do with store-bought cereal. Uh, So Arthur pours out a healthy helping of crunch cereal. Now, uh, what was – did you have a go-to sugary cereal in the day? No, my parents were strictly anti-sugary cereal. Did you have a go-to cereal at all? Uh, I mean, my dad would buy Vector, but he would be very careful to remind me every single time we had it that it's not a cereal. It's It's a a meal meal replacement. replacement. Yep. uh, Which he said every single time. No exaggeration. Uh, As an adult, I've grown to love CT Crunch uh, as a little treat for myself. I don't usually have it for breakfast, but I'll have it for as a dessert. Get some cinnamon toast crunch on there. It's the taste. Who calls it CT Crunch? It sounds like concussive trauma crunch. (laughs) I I thought that was got CT on the brain. I thought that was just a dumb way of saying Captain Crunch. No, like there's no T in there. No, not Captain Crunch. I only get Captain Crunch when it's the only one that's on sale, and even then, not a big fan. Shush your mouth. Cuts the roof of your mouth. No, it doesn't. It absolutely does. No, Lucas, you are a lying liar. I'm only speaking from personal experience. Well, hey. you're you've got. I'm a, not trying to yuck anybody's yum. Well, you've got a dumb baby mouth. <laughs> well, because Captain Crunch is one of my absolute favorite <laughs> cereals to this day. Captain Crunch is great. Do you know Captain Crunch's real name? I used to know this. Horatio Magellan Crunch. Do you, I was not expecting you to get that, but it is. Horatio. How could I forget Captain Crunch's real name? It's one of my favorite names in fiction. Yeah, Captain Crunch was a big favorite of mine. Uh, we, we were, uh, my mother also kind of dialed back on the big sugary ones, so, you know, I always wanted, like, Count Chocula, Cookie Crisp. Tricks. Uh, I did get tricks later on into my childhood. I couldn't have it right away. So it was, like, you know, Corn Pops, Rice Krispies, maybe Fruit Loops, Frosted Flakes. I didn't, actually, I didn't like Frosted Flakes as a kid. Um, and then I and then I never really got you know cinnamon. I didn't really get cinnamon toast crunch or oh, it's so good apple jacks or anything like that. But you know now now that I'm a man, I can buy whatever cereal I want. <laughs> whatever cereal you please, you'll buy a a box of Crave and you'll be proud of it. Mm, I don't Beep. know. Yep. yep, I want this chocolate that has some cereal in it. I guess you know I might go buy a box of cereal when I get out of here. <laughs> but it's like purely it's it's a snack now. Like I can't eat it for breakfast. It's just like I really yeah. now that I'm old enough, I'm old enough to know better of just I, I, like I it totally is way too, way too much sugar so, um yeah so crunch cereal kind of looks like corn pops 
Yeah, uh, they're just a little, round, a little brown, multi, little multicolored. There's oh. a couple multicolored ones in there, I think. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely the same thing as corn pops, which of course were pretty sugary on their own. But uh, yeah, just little little spheres. And the iconography on the Crunch cereal box reminds me a lot of the California raisins. Okay, we got these 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 anthro- anthropomorphic Anthro- anthropomorphic yeah uh, versions of the cereal wearing these cool shades, and they're sort of performers with their white gloves and their their uh, microphones. Yes. So. And there, but there's only one in uh, Crunch cereal. There's just the main whatever the heck. The main guy twice. He's on the box twice. Oh, is he twice? Yeah. Okay. Well, but in the commercials, there's only one of him. It kind of reminded me of uh, the old Seven Up mascot, Cool Spot. Oh yeah. Except I don't think the Crunch cereal guy has a his own Genesis game. No, and it's probably not as good as Cool Spot. That's that, true. Cool that, Spot is legitimately that's, good. That's a genuinely good game. I, Much better than Yo Noid. Yeah, probably. Which is I, which is very bad. <laughs> Arthur pours out the cereal and he finds a uh, a wrapped up kind of advertisement for the Crunch Cereal Jingle Contest, which is uh, the Crunch Cereal Company's way of getting a new theme song. And if you compose and send a new theme song to them, they will give you a year's supply of Crunch Cereal, to which Dad had a great line here of just, that's a prize. <laughs> which, which, as soon as he said that, I was like, actually, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> like, oh, th- like that's a really bad prize. And then the other half of that is that, like, we will also feature your jingle on our TV commercials. And it's like, man, they're really taking these kids for a ride. Yeah, we're not like, going to give you just, any royalties. They're just giving you more cereal to give you diabetes and just taking it for free. That stinks. Though, as someone who lives by themselves right now and has to buy cereal for themselves, I would be pretty darn stoked on a year of free cereal. But, well, we'll get to this. We'll get to this later. But there is another big problem with oh, yeah. a year's supply of crunch cereal. I mean, there's a few, but there's a big one that I'm thinking of right now. Uh, it also says include 20 box tops with each entry. Now, there was. Um, I don't know how cereal contests work these days, but back when we were kids, the way to do it was that they had a proof of purchase that you could cut out. Yeah. But you didn't need the box tops. That might have been something else for maybe some other companies, which seems to me of like there is an easy way to kind of scheme that or at least uh, there's a lot of variables here. Okay, because like (laughs) I'm just saying is that like so you rip off the box tops. uh, Let's say I don't know if they're if they need. Two, if sorry, more math. So I'll make this as easy as I can. Like I don't know if that means you need to buy twenty boxes of crunch and get both of the box tops. No, it's like so. One of them is specifically the prize top. So this is like a common thing. I think this was oh. an older thing. Yes, I think so. Uh, because they reference it in TV shows a lot about like, oh, get this many box tops, we'll send you this crappy toy. Yes. Um, I think it was like one of the box top is the prize box top, but in an era where you can type in codes onto the internet, yes, uh, that's really how cereal box prizes goes these days. I bought a box of Fruit Loops, family sized, on sale a couple weeks ago, and it was like if you buy th- four or two of these before this date in January, you'll get fifteen dollars off your next purchase at Toys R Us. What you usually have to do though is it's it's on like the bat, like the inside wall of exactly. it, so you have to eat your way through it. But the other thing is that like. I, I maybe and maybe this is more common today of that cereal in boxes isn't loose anymore. It's in another bag. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So and that's pretty much with every cereal I've bought. So I feel like the easy way to game this is just to immediately 
buy as many as you need or get your parents to buy them and then just take the box tops and then you just have 20 boxes of cereal like this see it's a real ordeal arthur puts himself through in this in this episode because uh as i'll mention later he had he ne- he's never without his crunch cereal so he feels i mean even right here once he sees the box top thing is that he immediately pours out a mountainous helping to dw and just like keep eating They're just like because it's not in a bag inside the box they need to eat it all and then discard it maybe he's just trying not to be wasteful i guess but i mean that's that that that's wasteful in its own way of like expecting a 4 year old to eat twice a serving of crunch cereal <laughs> Um, <laughs> I guess I guess you're right. <laughs> so yeah, Arthur's eating loose crunch throughout the episode, trying to think of a tune to think of. Which yeah, is- so we immediately cut to outdoors. Arthur is eating crunch cereal from the box, no bowl, like from the box with mittens on. Just hand- outdoors, handfuls. This is crazy. Like imagine being outside in the cold in the snow, and you have a hand with a mitten on, and you're just shoving that into a box of cereal <laughs> and shoveling it back in your mouth. You're yeah, gonna get mostly like lint and yeah. like it's just not going to taste great. There's a lot of hygienic problems with all of this. So uh, Arthur and DW are discussing this while they're making snow forts or what have you. Um, DW says maybe you should think of something that rhymes with crunch besides crunch. And Arthur's <laughs> Arthur kind of DW sort of making fun of J Cole for rhyming <laughs> almond milk with almond milk on his newest album. Out of here, without a here, without a here. Yeah, Arthur just kind of does a response he thinks is cultured of just like um a good a good song has to be the perfect pairing of notes with the perfect melody you're too young to understand great art and then the joke is zoom out dw has created the thinker statue in snow (laughs) i thought that was pretty funny um so uh we cut then later to arthur at school using the school piano uh i liked this actually i thought this was really funny of just arthur uh, he's testing out notes like he does one and he's like too sad next one too silly next one it'll do and just like immediately knowing where you can go for where you can go from by just one note by the opening note but i think like before the era of fruity loops that's how people used to get their start in like jingle writing and stuff you'd get a big old keyboard and you said okay where's our where's our starting key for this yeah and then just work your way down the board. Oh, no, sure. It, and it makes sense of just how musically inclined Arthur is. I just thought it was funny of just, like, how you can immediately do do that It's as, as someone who is uh, very much uneducated in music. So uh, throughout this episode, like, Arthur is, like, chew, the voice actor who's playing Arthur is chewing into a microphone. That's why I did that at the start of our right, episode. Right, 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 right. Is because I was like, oh, man, like, this is going to get grating of, I, like, just – and it's actually – it's pretty good and serviceable in uh, terms of, like – Oh, well, this cereal must be pretty good, or at least Arthur's really chomping through this it's, cereal. It, it's kind of their stock Arthur um, chewing noise because there's a lot of slurping in there too. <laughs> because you know, in case you need Arthur to eat soup or something. Oh yeah, I guess. So it's I just recognize it from from lo these many years. So Buster interrupts him, and it's apparently a snowball fight is on outside, and I was immediately taken aback because. He says, Francine has been captured by the fourth graders, and they're going to give her the powder donut treatment. So we're we're talking, this gets pretty serious pretty quick. Like, Francine is a, is a prisoner of war yeah, in this battle against the fourth graders, and she's going to get some sort of, some sort of torture or treatment. 
The powdered donut treat. I was going to ask you about this, Will. Is this a thing, or did Arthur come up with this? Because I've never heard of... I can only assume powdered donut, snow... You can make some uh, uh, mental imagery in your mind of what the powdered donut treatment could be. I mean, later on, we see Francine kind of doused in snow under this big pile. That might just be it. But I'm still unclear on what the specifics of the powdered donut treatment are. I, I have no idea if they made it up or not. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that, like, it seems really inane because it just, it's just like, well, powdered donut is covered in, like, you know, white powder. And it's just like you just cover her in white powder, I guess. It's like that doesn't seem very efficient way of torturing someone, I guess. The fourth grade version of waterboarding. That's what I was thinking. I was just like... <laughs> You're like, just, Dick Cheney's trying to give people the powdered donut treatment yeah. left and right. It's just like a really inadequate form of torture. And then they, like, they immediately... Well, well, some people would argue that all forms of torture are inadequate at the end of the day. Sure. Uh, Arthur and Buster... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, thanks. That's where we need this. We need to talk about. <laughs> Let's get away from this. Uh, Arthur and Buster uh, go outside and immediately have to duck snowballs. Like, not to get back to the war imagery, but they go into the trenches. Yeah, they're just crawling through snowball fire, and it's like it's really strange. Like, really strange to have this kind of violent imagery. I mean, I mean, that's how it was for me in elementary school. I remember what would happen. The older kids would build a snow fort on the corner of the fence, so that means they would have to build one less wall. I was too young and dumb to figure that out. We would try and build our snow fort in the middle of the field, so we'd have oh, to build four walls. That's like uh, that's like that's like a land war in Asia. You can't win that. And then basically, we would go back and forth trying to destroy each other's snow forts, and this would last all uh, all winter. Um, so, and it got violent. It's like kids would eventually stop throwing snowballs at each other and just start slamming each other into the ground physically. <laughs> so this is why my school, my elementary school didn't allow snowball fighting. Oh, that's some helicopter parent participation award millennial business right there. No uh, snowball fights. No, I, th- I won't I, hear that. I think it was probably the right call. So they're, they're kind of still hiding and trying to get, get to Francine somehow. And, uh, Arthur's informing Buster about this contest, and uh, Arthur's like, I think I've thought up the perfect, uh, the perfect title or the perfect starting line. It goes, eat crunch. <laughs> Golf clap. Golf clap. Good one, Arthur. Ten out of ten. Five out of five. Five stars, A plus four stars. Great job. So then Francine appears from a snowbank after Buster says that Arthur needs a band. And Francine says, uh, thanks to you guys just yakking, uh, I got the cream puff torture as well as the powdered donut treatment. So we have two different forms of dessert-related torture. I could only imagine what the the cannoli treatment might be or the dreaded uh, – oh, I, I started that joke without no, having another <laughs> pastry in mind. The, the the cupcake boarding or something. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, I don't want to get cupcake boarded. <laughs> I don't know. I think I I don't know if I'd mind. <laughs> uh, so Fr- Francine immediately cools to them after they say they're uh, looking to put together a band. So the next shot is uh, Arthur and Buster auditioning students for uh, just their different instruments, and a lot of them are background characters like uh, the Mrs. Fink kid from a couple of uh, episodes ago. He's playing, uh, uh, I want to say, like, clarinet or something or some sort of 
woodwind industry. There's, we, we get a look at the line of people tr- getting ready to audition, and there's like a possum who's like kind of dejected, and he's <laughs> walking out the door. He just has Buster's voice, by the way. I guess I should have taken those lessons. <laughs> like, did this guy try and learn how to play the banjo on the spot, like, in this moment? <laughs> he's like, maybe I'm a savant. Maybe this will come <laughs> naturally. I'm like, August Rush. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one, though. He definitely did have Buster's voice actor. Uh, a couple of appearances here, like uh, George the Moose. Uh, he plays the uh, the flute and then immediately like faints from the pressure. Yeah, he gets lightheaded or or maybe, something. Yeah, maybe he's lack of yeah. oxygen or maybe he's just nervous. But could be a little bit of both. Grandma Thora shows up in this uh, lineup of elementary school kids. I was just gonna say two Arthur's school. Yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how this got around. Maybe he put it uh, citywide. I mean, uh, we already know he has that network of poster putting up for plenty of other episodes. Grandma Thora, she plays the spoons. That's right, and she lets rip. Solid bars here. Grandma's got a brand new hat, going to groove it all night long. It's like a 21 Savage song or something. <laughs> and Arthur and Buster are like, cool. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like all right. It's, I mean, I guess. not. Uh, I don't know if eight-year-olds would be like, cool, my grandmother playing the spoons. Playing the spoons is harder than it looks. Oh, sure. No, I have no doubt. It's just like, I don't know if that's exactly the sound you're looking for. Uh, and then finally, we get we cut to Binky, and this is the first of seeing him with his musical talent, uh, maybe more than Arthur in the sense of like, it's if Arthur was Goku, then uh, uh, at, uh, Binky is like Piccolo, and that <laughs> at one point uh, Binky was the strongest musician in the Arthur <laughs> universe. <laughs> This is one of my favorite uh, my favorite analogies to make is that at one point Piccolo was the strongest character in Dragon Ball Z. That's true. How far he has fallen. Yeah. Uh, Binky says before I loved this before Binky plays yeah, yeah. his uh, his piece. He goes, uh, uh, "It's a solo for clarinet by some old dead dude." Yeah, that's that's great, and and he plays it beautifully. I I've, I definitely recognize the tune, but sometimes I have problems placing music so i i couldn't recognize immediately what it was but uh, i definitely know the tune and uh, yeah so it's his first time playing the clarinet and we'll see a lot more of that as we go on so arthur assembles the band which is mostly his friends and his grandmother and uh mrs mcgrady in his dad's garage it's like a shed or a garage yeah yeah and uh so Arthur is just trying to get his own vision across. So yeah. I love the details of this. This is one of the reasons I love Arthur is because they notice the little things. Yes. So now that Arthur is trying to conduct this band, he's got his sleeves rolled yes. up, yeah, his yeah, yeah. shirts untucked. Uh, and now this whole episode is actually really strange with with foresight. It almost seems like it's a whiplash parody in parts. Well, but, of course, well, yeah. it couldn't be a whiplash parody because whiplash came out, like, last year or the year before. And this episode came out in the mid-'90s. Yes. But the parallels are uncanny. Absolutely. Uh, I definitely see that because, of course, at this point, uh, I mean, as the episode goes on, Arthur kind of loses himself to the grip of – I, I'll say madness, music madness a little bit. Yeah, I, lo- I loved the detail of him being disheveled, with, like you said, with his shirt untucked. Uh, I think it looks great. He's just, like, so into this. And so at this point, he's he's trying to get his his point across, which at, he's not – it's it's worth noting, he's not really sure what he wants. He just kind of knows it has to be his because he's the one doing all the legwork. So at this point, everybody kind of starts putting in their own ideas and turning it into more of a jam session than, like, a – 
professional like, recording. Arthur's like, what is this, a fish concert? Yeah. Uh, they, yeah they're, just, they're just jamming. So it's like Sue Ellen, uh, Brain, Muffy, Francine. They all have their own ideas of what they want to do, and they start jamming, which is, which is fine. But then Arthur just vehemently reacts and asserts himself, as Arthur rarely does, of just like, like I've got the entry form. I've eaten fifteen boxes of crunch, and this is my jingle. So we're gonna play it my way, and like a lot harsher than I'm putting out. I don't want to scream into the mic, but just like he is belting this out, like he is yelling at the top of his lungs. But yeah, he's like channeling his inner J.K. Simmons. Yeah. my jingle, my way, my tempo. Yeah, like yeah. I, I couldn't help but like so pick get, up whiplash. Get, getting ready to throw a symbol at the brain or yeah. something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so they try and do something. I was just kind of confused at this point. Like, that, but I think it's more of that Arthur himself doesn't know what he wants. Of just like, he doesn't have a tune. Like, he doesn't have anything written down, but he needs a band just on the insistence of Buster. And also, I was confused at this point because I wanted to know, so do you send in, like, the sheet music of your thing? Like, uh, like later, Arthur records himself, but it's like, we're 1996. The best you could do is on tape. Yeah. So I Or, or like, video or something. But I was curious because, like, Arthur didn't have any recording equipment. So I'm like, is he getting this on tape? Does he have a videotape set up? Um, and this is kind of answered a little bit later, but I think like because I was wondering this too because we never actually see the recording of the song. We just see Arthur putting a cassette into an envelope. So maybe hmm. like he's just got one of those like old eight track recorders, uh, and he was gonna record some awful like mono one yeah. channel like of the entire performance or something. Because yeah. um, when, like, be, when he submits it later on, it's just him singing it, I yeah, believe. Yeah, like, it might as well be recorded on a talk boy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eventually everybody leaves after they make this like big, this one big note, and they're just kind of like, Arthur doesn't, not being professional, kind of yelling at them. It's like they've had enough. So And they're not being paid to be there. Or they're not in Arthur's uh, uh, college uh, music program. <laughs> exactly. So they're not indebted to be there because they want to be the best. Um the, a great a great line here of just Arthur kind of slowly spiraling down even more of just like Buster's just like, maybe you should take, give it a rest for a while. And Arthur says, did Mozart give it a rest? Did the guy who wrote Ring Around the Rosie give it a rest? I don't think so, Buster. And it's like, a, it's a great delivery. And uh, I really think there's some great voice work in this episode. But that was really funny. Eventually, Arthur just kind of resigns himself to the fact that he'll never think something up. And then just out of the blue... He hears D.W. humming a tune that is all her own uh, while she's uh, uh, brushing Nadine's hair. And he kind of peeks in on her, and she ends up coming up with the uh, crunch cereal jingle. I'll put it right here. Oh, I have a hunch, breakfast, dinner, and lunch. Would be so fine to munch if I had it with Nadine. So, yeah, that's the jingle. And uh, those are the wor- essentially the words to it, except DW's is, uh, you know, has to do with Nadine. And then Arthur immediately steals it, but just kind of is hit by inspiration. He he pulls the end of Back to the Future where it's like, yeah. you know, that new sound you're looking for. <laughs> it's your cousin, Marvin Ar- Crunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Arthur ends up recording it on tape and showing it to Buster like this tape has dynamo quality. Like it sounds great. <laughs> Sounds like they recorded it in like a in like a recording studio. 
Yeah, you kind of have to suspend your disbelief for yeah. this. Uh, us, we understand the audio-visual process of all this. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those things where, like, this happens in kids' shows all the time, wherever there's, like, a film competition or, like, a yeah. movie contest where, like, kids are putting out, like, cinematic quality video. And you're like, wait, how did they edit this? Wait, where did this come from? Huh? Yeah. And you just kind of have to suspend your disbelief. I just wanted, I just wanted to log it and continue on. Uh, so now Arthur has to mail it in with, of course, with all of his box tops and, uh, all that sort of stuff and the entry form. So all he has to do is bring it to the mailbox, which leads to what I'm going to say is to this point, one of the funniest parts of any Arthur episode so far this season. And this one's going to be hard to top because it's, it's great physical comedy. And I really have to commend the animators for having this come across so well. And it's written very well. And it's incredibly funny. Just Arthur. uh, It's kind of a pulled back shot of Arthur running down the street. And then all of a sudden uh, DW kind of pulls up. She's pulling a toboggan and Arthur like trips over her and careens into the streets, and it, it's it's made even better by the fact that DW's line is "Watching you, maniac." You want to end up a pile of roadkill? <laughs> it's just a terrific scene, and I and I I watched it three times. I, <laughs> I laughed so hard; it was awesome. Yeah, it's a funny episode, and it actually, it continues on from here. I have to say, uh, DW says uh, Nadine and her have decided that Arthur needs to eat more fruit. Which I'm guessing, after all of the diabetes that Arthur is just on the razor's edge of, he definitely needs more fruit. Uh, so she gives him an apple as a gift, and then <laughs> I also thought this was really funny. Uh, and I have to commend the voice acting for this of the back and forth here of Arthur and DW. Is she's just like, oh. Is that your jingle for the new contest? <laughs> and I was just kind of like, this? Huh, yes, uh, uh, yes, it is. And then DW wants to hear it. And great line here from Arthur of just, oh, munch, crunch, snap, pop, fizz. Something like, something like that. It, it's like not that bad. The one he comes up with on the spots, like kind of serviceable. But it's, but it's just. Munch, crunch, snap, pop, fizz. Yeah, it really, it, they really capture the emotion of like. This dude's in distress. He he in distress. He's backed into a corner. He's got to come up with something, and he's got to come up with it now. He's taking the ejector seat out of this co- this conversation to get away from DW because Arthur. Sa- oh, sorry. He doesn't want her to find out that uh, he took her song. Arthur says the contest deadline is tomorrow. I hope he's paying for next day shipping. <laughs> yeah. Another suspension of disbelief. I actually missed that one. Uh, then we get this. Uh, so like Arthur falls in front of the mailbox, and like we see. Uh, or no, sorry, I'm sorry, he doesn't fall, but he like stops at the mailbox, kind of takes a bite out of the apple, and we get again. This is really funny. Uh, we get this imagination scene of Arthur. Uh, he's in his like he's in a tuxedo, and he's playing an outdoor like an open air <laughs> piano concert where he's like playing his crunch cereal theme to like a sold out crowd. And I just thought the idea of this again open air winter piano concert was ludicrous but in a but in a funny way in the in his imagination uh dw kind of pushes her way up to the front of the line and like immediately collapses yeah she sounds like completely decrepit she's yeah like, Arthur. <laughs> she sounds well she sounds sickly she's like well uh, not sickly but like re- very meek of just like arthur over here and then she ar- pushes her way and she falls down and arthur's like dw are you all right and she has the apple in her hand and she's just like here <laughs> 
it's and it's it is really funny, but it also doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't, but uh, like like I I get this is supposed to symbolize Arthur's guilt over stealing yeah, the song. Yeah. But what does DW giving him the apple have to do with anything? It's this total flight of fancy of just like combining <laughs> Arthur's greatest dream with like his biggest guilt, and I just think it's I think it's really funny, like surreal in a very restrained way. But I I don't know. I just thought this was great. So we have Arthur kind of pull a face of like he's trying having a dilemma. And then the next morning, DW's watching TV, Bionic Bunny for some reason. Yeah, I thought she didn't like Bionic Bunny. Oh no. But she's laughing at it, so maybe she's maybe she's like Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> maybe she's like like uh Crow T robot and uh Oh, 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 oh Tom uh, Servo. Tom Servo. How did I forget Tom Servo? He's I, my I, favorite one. Well, I just kept thinking of like Gypsy, Gypsy, and I'm like, Gypsy wasn't in those parts. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so then Arthur wakes up and he comes down and he hears his song on the Crunch Cereal Contest, which, of course, is DW's song, and he rushes to the TV to make sure she doesn't hear the whole thing, but she doesn't seem to let on that she knows what it is. <laughs> he rushes in front of the TV. The song's still playing, yeah. but like he's <laughs> just blocking the imagery. Yeah. To which DW says, this commercial isn't as good as the old one. Doesn't seem to know right away. Uh, So once again, they're sitting down for bowls of dad's oatmeal. Uh, He says, one bowl and you won't be hungry till dinner. Man, I got to get me some of that oatmeal. There's some sort of like. I was gonna say I was gonna say some sort of uh, stomach leech on that, but I guess it'd be the opposite. It'd be like a leech that like barfs stuff into your stomach. Maybe Arthur's dad invented Soylent. Could be, could be, or like some sort of expanding kind of tofu or molasses that just it cannot be digested. The little bread from The Force Awakens, where she puts that stuff right. on, it gets uh, all oh, big. Or the um, or Lembus bread from uh, Lord of the Rings. It's like you eat a corner of it, and you're uh, that's all you need to eat for the day. Uh, so knock at the door and they are intercepted by a representative from the crunch cereal company. And I wrote down immediately, I want that hat. Oh man. So it's, dope. it's a fantastic hat. Like he's got the whole thing. He's got a jacket. He's got shades and this hat is like, it's, it's kind of like a cap, but the top of it is sort of concave and yeah. it looks like a bowl of cereal and it's great. Because if it's not a bowl of cereal, it still looks cool. If it is a bowl of cereal, that's even better. It's very convenient. It's like those hats where they have the two beers and the straws. Right. You could like wear that to a NASCAR race. Totally. Just grab cereal out of your head and munch on it. Or just or like put chips in there or something. Yeah. The possibilities are endless. Oh, man, fill it with guac. Now we're talking. <laughs> what? Just get a handful of guac and just. No, you you got. I guess you need a separate. So you got a, uh, a fanny to... pack filled with chips. Okay. The guac's in your head. Yeah. You dip it. Yeah, into your own yeah. head. That's okay. I like this. I like this. We delete this part from the podcast. We got to patent this. <laughs> so they come with a literal dump truck of cereal. And now this is the thing. So year supply of stuff. I, f- I feel like that was kind of again kind of an older prize of like getting a year supply of a product. And you know, depending on the product, may not be all that good. If it's a toiletry or something, that's cool. But in this case, here's another big problem. So uh, I think we kind of already established that Arthur needs to eat all of these box of crunch because once you open it it's going to go bad if you don't uh because there's no it's there's no plastic seal around what's inside so you can't get the box tops that way so they just gave them like a hundred boxes of loose cereal like three quarters of that is going to go bad it's going to go so bad like it's going to you're going to get to month two and it's stale and i just like this seems incredibly inefficient i think it's like a really funny visual gag like this yeah, dump it, truck dropping off like 52 boxes of cereal for or sure but that was my first 
and major concern. I think in real life, the way your supplies work is they send it to you like as you need it. So it's like, oh, yeah. out of cereal. Get those crunch people to mail, mail me some more cereal. Yeah, they like give you a bunch of vouchers or something but for the grocery I store. I think they really wanted to have like this crunch foreman with his ridiculous hat like drop off this crunch this, foreman. This, this like massive like it's like the pile of money from the Dark Knight where when, right. the, when the Joker, Joker sets it on sliding, fire, sliding like, down the crunch cereal boxes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about sending a message. I'm just about sending. It's <laughs> funny. Well. <laughs> How about I feed crunch cereal to your dogs? <laughs> and then we'll find out just how loyal a hungry pup is. Yeah. Uh, this button will unload the crunch cereal on the other boat. But if they press the button. <laughs> Tell me where the crunch cereal is. Where the crunch cereal Tell me where it is. I'm not wearing hockey pants. Because I'm not wearing crunch cereal. <laughs> And then they could do a sequel. They expect the crunch cereal in the wreckage, brother. He's probably wondering why <laughs> you would create... <laughs> Perhaps he's wondering why you would create a jingle without giving him the box tops. Nobody cared who I was. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> nope. Uh, that's so stupid. <laughs> Oh, whatever. No, so let's, let's let's finish this episode before this gets worse. So big pile of crunch cereal. Yeah, big pile of for crunch. you. <laughs> Thought we were done. You really got me with that one. It would be extremely crunchy. <laughs> You'll eat it for you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Man, I love the Bane voice. I still do. Um, so, yeah, and it's revealed that the winner of the Crunch Cereal Jingle Contest is attributed to DW, who is, of course, very surprised. And in the final scene, uh, we see them outside stacking Crunch Cereal boxes, like to just uh, store better, I guess. Arthur admits to stealing her tune, but DW isn't angry with him. She's more upset that he used that crummy tune and that she has way better ones than that. And, and then she I, comes through with And she comes through with this one and we'll again we'll put it right here. Oh, everyone thinks that my brother stinks like a piece of yellow cheese. But me I say that he's okay as long as there's a breeze. Which is great. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Exclusive. Exclusive. Trapaholics. <laughs> Real trap poop. Young chap on the beat. <laughs> Mike Will made it. <laughs> yeah, and no, it's it's awesome. And uh, it's, it's just a very funny way to end the episode. And Arthur kind of beans her with a couple snowballs. And, and, that's, and that's that. And that's the end of the Crunch Cereal Contest. Okay, so this is actually... Strange. So the video that I sent you, the one we watched, uh, didn't have a now word from his kids on it. But I really wanted to see this one because I remembered what it was. It was that they got kids in the classes to make their own crunch cereal jingle. What? That sounds awesome. And I know that a couple of them wrapped it. Oh, Will, I got to look this up. No, but I tried and I can't find it. Oh, man. Normally, okay, a little bit inside Arthur here, inside the podcast, but normally the Daily Motion episodes have the whole thing. This this one didn't. It just cut it off. And so I can't find it. If you can find this, uh, the A Now Word From His Kids segment for this one, please, please send it to us. It's really, really good. I hope our favorite Boston Casey Affleck sounding kid was there. I don't. Crunch cereal. (laughs) 
quench cereal. Quench cereal. It's quench munch. <laughs> Uh, so we get to the second half of the episode, which is DW Flips. And as we'll find out, this episode actually, uh, you know, not beginning with an Arthur narration for once, it's, uh, it actually begins in medias res, that old movie technique. We begin the story as it is uh, nearly wrapped up. DW is uh, preparing, is looking to prove to someone who we are not aware of who it is yet uh, that she can do something and... I mean, there's not much point to explaining this part because we'll get to it later. It's just DW about to do apparently a flip on a balance beam. All I'll and say, do, and, do, and does it work? We get kind of a zoom into her face and like, what's going to happen? And like, tune in to find out, true believer. Uh, <laughs> all I'll say about this is like, I didn't recognize this uh, episode title, DW flips, which she inevitably, figuratively, and literally does. Mm. Uh, but I. The second I saw this opening sequence, this opening sequence is tattooed on my brain and the ending as well. Mm. Um, specifically the dialogue and the camera cuts, like everything about this I remember vividly because I used to make fun of it all the time. Really? This was like one of my go-to jokes on the playground is I would reference this specific episode of Arthur uh, and like kind of reenact it for people. Okay, so are you going to let us in on this or are you going to wait till we we'll get to wait, that part? We'll get so. to the end. I okay. don't have it quite memorized as all good right. now, but well, there's specific sounds and stuff that like, oh, it all came flooding back. I'll, I'll, I think I'll know what you mean. Hopefully we'll be able to communicate it. So the actual episode begins with Arthur watching TV. TV, DW board on the couch. So Arthur is watching the Winter Olympics and he's watching Luge. So I look, I, d- I took the liberty of looking this up. So this episode was aired in 1996, the end of 1996. So like the win, so the winter, obviously. Uh, however, in 1996, that was a summer Olympics year. They were at, they were in uh, Atlanta, Georgia that year. In fact, you would know it as the Olympics where Kurt Angle won his gold medals. Also, like, they they flip it again back to the Olympics, and it's gymnastics on later on. Yeah. Gymnastics is not a winter sport. Right. They only play during the, the Summer Olympics, so mm-hmm. it is weird. The commentary team needs to be fired for this bobsled race. You could hear one of the guys go, boy, I wouldn't want to fall off the back of that, Bob. Uh, yeah, great. Awesome, awesome, yeah, like, play-by-play yeah, there, my dude. Yeah, great banter there. Yeah. Like, you know, we need we need actual, like, this is a real sport. We need, like, analysis here. That's like if I was watching fencing and be like, I'm sure glad that's not going to stab through me. Like, Mamma mia! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just wanted to point out, so 1996 was the Summer Olympics year. The, one, the Winter Olympics before this, it was in 94 in Lillehammer, Norway. And in 1998, it was in Nagano, Japan. When was Salt Lake? Is that 99? 2002. 2002, really? Okay. I think, yes, because Sydney was 2000, and yeah, Salt Lake City was 2002. Uh, so DW is very, very bored, and they fight over the uh, the remote control, kind of flip through a few channels, and then they uh, end up settling on uh, gymnastics, which DW is immediately entranced with. It's a performance by Tina Trampolina. Jeez, if you're if you're not born and bred for gymnastics, it's right there in the name. Sort of like Schmirler the curler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If 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 such a if such a person exists, Schmer- you don't know Schmirler the curler. Oh, this is real. This, she was a famous CBC broadcaster. She was a famous oh, like medal winning no. curler. No, in the I Olympics. didn't. Know, no, I didn't know this. I'm sorry. It's Canadian heroine. Yeah, she. Um, what's well, what's her first name? Uh, I don't Sandra Sandra Schmirler the curler okay. and she would always say she was the only athlete whose last name rhymed with the sport she played. Mm. Well, my apologies to Sandra Schmirler. I honestly didn't know the only. I think the 
most high-profile curler I know is probably uh, Colleen Jones, if that's her name. I'm I'm not a big curling I'm, aficionado, I'm, but it's calling something. Again, apologies to any any real curling fans. You can let me have it over email. Uh, so DW is entranced with what she sees. She goes to talk to her mom, and then we get a, a we get a here we go again from Arthur, implying that this is not the first time DW has had her her heart set on something. Maybe before she should. And we get into that here. Uh, she's begging her mom to let her take gymnastics, and. Her mom reminds her of different bids that DW had for other sports, like T-ball, where she took a few swings, didn't hit the ball, and then immediately quit. Uh, She's got a great excuse, though. She goes, I can only hit balls that move. She, she, she the, the excuses she comes up with are great. Like, they're very good at deflecting. They are um, reminiscent of a certain presidential elect, I'll say. <laughs> they are fine deflections. Yes, I can only hit balls that move. Uh, in ballet class, she needed... Uh, a stool to help her like lift her leg up to which she says I have weak knees and then violin where she's just playing it like a guitar and not doesn't even try to use a string and she says I could have been really good if they didn't make me use that stick while she's telling her mom she's trying to convince her mom to let her take these gymnastics lessons and she says uh, I could be uh, if I'll win the gold medal Yes. And I could do serial commercials. And I was thinking, this is another case where it's kind of weird how they put these two episodes together. Because it's like, girl, you already did a serial commercial. That's right. And You wrote did, the crunch theme. That's right. She didn't see any money from it. Uh, so eventually her mom gives in and DW is overjoyed. So we go to her first uh, j- day of gymnastics class. And, of course, a lot of her teammates – or, excuse me, her – Classmates in gymnastics are her classmates at preschool. So we almost need- like an exact like everybody from her preschool classes in this. Yeah, for sure, class. including the Tibble twins. Which interesting choice to put the Tibbles in gymnastics of all things. I know it's probably a very good way to burn off their energy, but uh, gymnastics was never something I was interested in as a kid. And I just I did soccer and stuff like that. So this episode's kind of near and dear to my heart because uh, DW is very similar to my little sister in this episode. My okay. little sister was sort of a girl of many hobbies. Uh, she w- did. Uh, she learned how to play the drums for a while. Uh, currently, she does lacrosse, but before that, she did gymnastics okay. for uh, a lot of her early years. And so that was something she was really interested in. So I have a lot of memories as a kid of like going to pick up Michaela from gymnastics class and stuff like that. Uh, so DW sort of patterned off for her, but I I certainly wasn't that type of kid who did all these extracurricular t- yeah. activities back in the day. Though, hey, the Tibbles, maybe they're trying to work on their core strength. Could be. GSP was a gymnast. We no gym, how, gymnastics. Well, out. Gymnastics are a great thing. Like they're a great sport to do when you're young. Like I wish because when I was younger, I didn't do gymnastics because I, I thought it was for girls, and I feel like I really missed out by being so narrow minded as a child. I should have taken to gymnastics because man, those are some uh, those are some things that you can carry with you. If yeah, you, it's a if great you, base for professional wrestling. That's true. That was that's that's one of my things of just like. I wish I I wish I did uh, I wish I did uh, collegiate wrestling. I wish I did gymnastics. I wish I did uh, uh, anything else like boxing that could yeah. have led me to wrestling. But uh, I'm also not really much of an athlete, so probably wouldn't have uh, went that far anyway. So we get introduced to someone who ends up being a big part of DW's world in preschool, and that would be Emily, uh, the uh, the girl rabbit character who is apparently Miss Perfect. Uh, who is who is escorted to the gymnastics lesson by her French nanny Renee? 
It's funny, though, because at first you think Emily's going to just be like, oh, this is like mini Muffy. Yeah. This is Muffy all over again. But there, there's um, there's differences in her character. Yeah, no. She's it's... got some depth to her. And I actually really like – what I like about this episode is, um, not to get too ahead of myself, this is sort of the introduction of DW's world. We had peeks into it before. Yeah. We saw her go to preschool, bring a frog, all that kind of stuff. But now we're getting a look at, okay, this is what the DW episodes are kind of going to be like when they deal with her sort of circle, her peers. Yeah, because other than the beginning and maybe once or twice, Arthur's not really in this episode at all. So it's all about her. That's where the spotlight is. DW has kind of an imagination of how good she hopes she'll be, and it's kind of like imagining herself at the Olympics uh, and like doing this unbelievable routine on the balance beam. This the physics defying yeah. routine. It's like a flip into like d- flying for a short amount of time and then dismounting onto onto her butt. And I noticed that when she dismounted, uh, did you hear the Windows fanfare? No, I did the window, not. The Windows 95. I didn't hear that. That's it's to- awesome. It's, it's totally in there. I just noticed when she dismounts, she's sort of sitting like cross-legged, like yeah, she, Zenyatta from Overwatch. She sort of peacefully like floats down. It's the it's the having tea dismount. You'll notice that she's holding an imaginary cup. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was funny. And then finally, they go to like the medal ceremony in DW's imagination. And man, DW can be real savage when she wants to be. So it's like, of course, DW gets the gold medal. And then the commentators of this are just like, uh, let's not forget about the other medal winners. Emily, what's her name? Gets the silver medal. Not very perfect. Yeah, Emily, not so perfect. What's her name? And then the guy giving her the medal like yawns. Bored. <laughs> That's really funny. And then, and then finally, Timmy and Tommy Tibble receive the bronze, but everybody knows they should have been disqualified. And the guy like coin flips it at them so that they could fight over like, it. And like, why should have they been disqualified? Was there a doping scandal like with <laughs> Timmy and Tommy in DW's imagination? Probably. Like, probably. What's ex- up with that? Probably excessive rowdiness or. The they uh, did a Tanya Harding to uh, Edwin later on in the episode. <laughs> and, hey, and, and Edwin's just like, why? Why? Win or lose, it's a clean sweep for America at this imaginary Olympics. <laughs> That's right. Not much of competition. Also, so, intergender gymnastics. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so DW tries to go on the balance beam, but is immediately stopped by apparently her – preschool teacher as well like this is just the same per- this is just miss morgan again and so i'm just like is this the same person Does- i was wondering the same thing and i wasn't sure because i was like is this, is this just miss morgan yeah. but i guess it is i guess like not only did her class come with her but her preschool teacher is also a gymnast yeah uh so their first thing to learn is a somersault which is pretty basic uh i remember uh, this this reminded me of when i did swimming lessons Eventually, you had to learn how to dive, and there were two dives that you had to do, and one of them was a somersault roll into the water, and I was terrified because I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to go head over heels, and I couldn't do it. So I had to practice it. I had to practice a somersault roll on my mom's bed until I got it, and then I finally did, and I was so, so happy. So this reminded me of that, and of course, I never use that again. Well, practice makes perfect. DW wants to jump right into the deep end to steal your swimming yeah. man- metaphor. She exactly. wants to get right up on the balance beam, uh, and Miss Morgan explains. She goes, oh, no, no, we won't be doing that for at least a year. DW yeah. responds, a year? I'll be old by then. It's true. She'll be, she'll be a whole five She'll be uh, halfway through her uh, first uh, 10 years. So the first thing is Miss Morgan's like, everybody find a partner. And Emily asks DW if she wants to be her partner. Then she looks over at, like, this dog kid 
who is kind of another background character who I always like the design of. He's this like little uh, brown dog, and I think he's cute. But it's just like looks at him, and then DW's like, I guess so. And I'm uh, like, yeah, it's and I'm so like, funny. And I was like, what was wrong with the dog kid? What maybe are you going to get the dog kid? Maybe he smells. We all knew someone who just kind of smelled in elementary know. school. Nothing some, against some smelly good. people personally. He but. looks like a nice kid. If if you want to name the dog kid. Ooh, yes. Yeah, we need a name for him. Scruff McGruff? Whatever no, you can think let, of. Okay, let's not be let's not be racist about it. What? Let's, He's not racist. It's a dog. He's taking a bite out of crime. Yeah, but that's like a... I don't know. I think that plays into dog stereotypes we don't need to get into. He can have a perfectly normal name. So the instructions for doing a somersault is very similar to doing a Lucha Libre bump. Uh, Miss Morgan tells them to tuck your head and roll. Tuck your head and roll. That's that's how you And that's how you do an arm drag. Uh, so DW kind of botches hers at first. Emily tries to correct her, and DW says, For your information, I was doing a half salt. You're supposed to do it that way. A theme throughout this episode when they're in the gymnastics part is that DW will just cut down anything Emily does in an attempt to try and take her down a peg in whatever way she can because it's... I think this is very interesting to her character. Competition brings out the worst in DW. She wants to win and be the best so bad, and she's willing to cut any corner and just undermine other people's success at least at the outset she's very jealous but it's also like she kind of has a reason to be like emily uh and maybe this is coming from a person like me who isn't the most you know athletically gifted person in the world but emily is even early on a little bit of like kind of a pompous show off she's always she you sometimes you just love to hate people who get everything right you know what i mean absolutely no absolutely i i completely understand and i think it's more it's it's a combination of I feel like like there is definitely a, there is literally a point where she is showing off, but it's also like it comes so naturally to her that she kind of doesn't realize that she's exactly. frustrating other people by like being so openly good at it. I also must note here uh, when they go on to do uh, cartwheels, when they go on to learn cartwheels, uh, the first kid to, to try is terrified, and he is the Edwin, the loser in polka dot shorts. And I really related to him of just like shorts and a T-shirt in some sort of athletic thing. And he is uh, unfortunately woefully outmatched and just not confident enough in himself to uh, do a proper cartwheel. And I'm also digging his haircut, I, man. I, it's I like gelled that. like yeah, between the ears. That's cute. I, th- I, th- I thought he was also he thought he was also a cute little kid. Uh, so yeah, definitely relate to Edwin in that sense. So DW in her off time from gymnastics is uh, practicing her cartwheels. And uh, I have to note here, so, like, there's a couple of short things of, like, her mom takes her to get groceries, and she's cartwheeling down the aisles, and her problem is, is that not that she can't do it, is that she can't stop herself. So that's the problem. And which, to which I was like, she, uh, that's, you know, that's actually, she's more than halfway there. She can do a pretty good cartwheel, and continuously, she just can't stop. Also, of all the places to practice a cartwheel, a grocery store might be the most inappropriate. It's definitely in that upper echelon of, like, places you don't want to be doing cartwheels in. Lots of things to knock over. Yeah. She's sort of taking bumps all over the grocery store like she's Booker T. For sure. Fighting Stone Cold. For sure. Um, so eventually they're going to be doing cartwheels again. And DW's thing is that she wants to she wants to do hers well. But, uh, you know, she wants to kind of outshine Emily, get her own moment to shine. So it is. They kind of they kind of all line up for cartwheels again, cartwheels and is able to stop. And uh, that's kind of her moment. But then all of a sudden, Emily comes cartwheeling in and does it absolutely perfectly and longer than she did. 
And I have to actually appreciate uh, Miss Morgan here, who immediately chides Emily for you know saying you know showing off is very impolite. And I'm like, okay, you know, in like a lesser cartoon, it would be they would immediately be like, wow, look at what she did. But it's just <laughs> like, no, actually, that's really in impolite and not appropriate. So. DW finally had her moment, and Emily kind of took it away. She kind of stole the spotlight. DW is really uh, frustrated at this point. And she then, flips, for lack of a better she term. Does. Vents her frustration to Emily, and then immediately is just like, "Bet you can't do, bet you can't do a flip on the balance beam." And Emily says, "Neither can you." And then we lead into the beginning of the episode, which is DW is going to do a flip, <laughs> going to try to do a flip on the balance beam. And the way this is put together, the way it's so tightly edited and everything and voice acted, like the way it ratchets up the tension is so great. Mm-hmm. The tibbles are – so the music is already like increasing in pace. And yes. as this is happening, everybody's gathering to watch DW get on this balance beam. The tibbles go um, – if you, if you don't make it, DW, can we have your toys? Right. So we're setting like, this is grim. This is a matter of life and death, which it may very well be if you were a completely untrained four-year-old she and could, you tried to cartwheel on a balance she beam. Could, she could get really hurt, as as you and I both well know. So she goes to do a, so she goes to do a flip, and they eventually she's like going to lose her balance. And so this is the part I used to make fun of okay. uh, for kicks as a kid, and other kids would have seen this episode, so they got the joke I would making. She kind of loses her balance for a good, uh, like, ten seconds yeah. straight, yeah, she's where she's like, flailing. oh, 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 And so as a kid, I would reenact the scene, but I would just keep doing it, like, as long as I could, and so I would okay. make it, like, as long as possible, and people would okay. be like, oh, it's funny, she is unrealistic. Even then... I was pointing out the inaccuracies in Arthur, even in my early years. So Miss Morgan, uh, Emily goes to tell Miss Morgan and brings her in along with D.W.'s mom. And uh, D.W. jumps into mom's arms and saying she just wanted to do a flip. And that's the end of that. And then for the near the end of the episode, the Tibbles kind of come in. And now the, this whole episode, they've kind of been riding D.W. a little bit of just like, you know, it's like, oh, Emily, you know, Emily kind of did it better than you and kind of goading her into doing it. Uh, and this time they're getting on Emily's case and they, you know, say, you know, you told, you know, you told the teacher so that DW wouldn't do something better than you. They got no love for snitches. No. And, uh, but then DW is the one to stick up for her and they're just like, but she stopped you from doing her cartwheel. And then DW just kind of sticks up for Emily. And I, and I don't think she really explicitly, or maybe she does, I, but it's because, Emily did save her from doing something stupid. So she realizes that. And I got to say, DW is the bigger person in this. Of the, And I think Emily kind of realizes that, too, of just, like, you know, thanks her for defending her from the Tibbles. And um, they kind of meet at a truce, and this is where they become friends. Like, I think Emily becomes DW's best friend her own age. And this is kind of where it all starts. And, uh, you know, I'll help, I can help you uh, practice cartwheels. And DW is like, as long as you promise to stop being perfect all the time. You could be my wingman anytime. <laughs> no, you, you could, could be, be mine. Mine. Exactly. It is a great introduction of Emily as a character, though. Like, as opposed yeah. to, like, if you remember Nadine's introduction, it was a tad clunky. It was just yeah. like, here's Nadine. 
she's magic. But right. Emily's like, this is a really cool, like, redemptive arc where it's like, oh, they're not friends at first. She's kind of stuck up. And then we realize, oh, none of that matters. Emily, Emily seems like a very realistic character in that I've met a lot of people before who are just like naturally good at things that I'm not. And then you kind of get an impression of them without really talking to them and – you know, it's not the, and not necessarily in this case. Emily is kind of flaunting it at DW, but at first, I don't think she is. She's just kind of naturally good and doesn't realize that she's being showy with it because she's a kid. And uh, I think that's very true to life. I think there's I've met a lot of people like that. So, and eventually they do make up, and it does. It's uh, I think it's a the, that kind of those kind of things do happen. So I kind of appreciated that it was in like you said very realistic. And so on the drive home, uh, DW is getting a talking to from her mom, and she says she'll be careful. And the end of the episode is that DW spots uh, horseback riding, girls doing horseback riding, and then she's like, "Mommy," and and she's like, "No, DW, you're too young to take riding lessons." And then so it leads to DW begging to take riding lessons, and here we go again. <laughs> if this uh, episode kept going on, maybe eventually DW would start on Brazilian jiu-jitsu eventually. BJJ. Yeah, could be. All right, so uh, let's break let's break it down. Finally, uh, let's start with Arthur and the Crunch Cereal Contest. What do you think? It's a it's a really funny episode. Yeah, uh, and I actually really liked the ending of this episode because it could have like ended in a really clunky way. I wasn't exactly sure where it was going. Like I thought Arthur was going to do this lie where he took credit for the song, and then it was sort of going to be that like really lazy uh, uh, rom-com writing of like, oh no, here's the part where the lie falls apart around him and he has to learn his lesson. But no, in the end we realize Arthur had a change of heart and he put DW's name in all along. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought that was like really a really touching way to end the episode. And I also like the characterization of DW in that she didn't really care about anything <laughs> yeah. about it. Like she she's, was very, just, she's very ambivalent. Yeah, she barely recognized her song. She was like, oh, whatever. It's like um, I got way better ones than those. No, you're right. Um, um, I think it's actually kind of rare for a TV show to s- not have – I mean, I guess Arthur does kind of learn a lesson, but it's not because he did something wrong. Like like you said, in another cartoon, it would be like Arthur submits it, like he gets all the credit and then eventually like admits publicly like, no, actually it was my sister who wrote it. But it was it was due to like they relied on Arthur's own character that they've built up so far to be like – no, he realizes this is wrong, and in the 11th hour, he does the right thing. He comes he, to the conclusion himself, not because of yes, events surrounding exactly. him. And I think that that's actually a very strong indicator of who Arthur is as a person, which chalks up to very good writing. And like I said, this episode is hilarious. I had a, I had a blast watching this. Like I was, uh, This was one I was really looking forward to, and I was not disappointed. This is absolutely one of my favorites. It's funny. Uh, the animation is good. Uh, I you know I like kind of the the development of Arthur's character. I like the little moments that DW gets. She's a very it's very rare to have an episode where she and Arthur don't fight that much, and her character is very much detached from a lot of what's going on, which I thought was a very interesting role to play. No, I really really liked it. Uh, then into DW flips. Uh, I wasn't as crazy about this one. I would say I'm kind of. A bit lukewarm on it. I kind of thought that um, I, I do appreciate that we get DW centric episodes. I think those are important, and DW is one of the stronger characters on the show, and absolutely deserves more development. As does her world, and you know, I think we agree that Emily is a good character to introduce to her part of the Arthur universe. 
But the whole thing itself, I kind of felt, um, you know, I felt some of the gymnastic stuff didn't really have too much of like a a structured story. She kind of it relied a lot on just like you know slapstick vignettes of Arthur, uh, excuse me, of DW doing cartwheels and that sort of stuff, and then like she does cartwheels once, then she does it again and does it better. I guess she learns how to stop. Like, I don't know. I just didn't really feel invested in the whole thing uh, into DW's plight in terms of the, like, technicalities of it, you know. I don't know if I'm explaining myself uh, no, I get it. well enough. I think that it was interesting to see that part of her personality, like, under competition and being against this type of character like Emily is. But in terms of, like, the nuts and bolts of, like, oh, DW couldn't stop on a cartwheel and now she can. Like, okay. And, like... I don't know if we see DW do gymnastics very much anymore. So, you know, I and I know that that's not the point, and I'm not saying it's a bad episode because of all that. I'm just saying I wasn't as invested in it because of those reasons. I still think it's you know, uh, you know, a couple good lines here and there, some good characterization, all that sort of stuff. It's a, it's like it's a fine episode. I just don't have much personal attachment to it. So I kind of liked the episode, and I liked it. Uh, you said something at the end that I totally think is why I like the episode. I think it's really realistic in the way in portraying the way kids talk and react to each other, okay. which is actually really rare in kids shows because, of course, adults are writing it. So a lot of times, kids in kids shows will sound like adults. But uh, I I think it's really interesting to see DW in these situations where instead of reacting to things Arthur and his friends do. Her peers, I love seeing DW interact with her peers because I think the way the dialogue's written, the way the Tibbles will ag her on, the way DW perceives Emily, the way Emily looks at DW, it's a lot on how uh, kids actually really do compartmentalize things Mm -hmm. and how they talk to one another. And so I really appreciate that in media when I see it in stories. And so I liked it here a lot. Uh, I also think the episode kind of moves at a clip. Like, with the exception of DW cartwheeling around that grocery store, uh, it's like, okay, she wants to get into gymnastics. She's in gymnastics. Here's here's the tension. And I do really like the way this episode's framed. That opening, you're like, what's going on here? Is she going to fall? Is she going to break her neck? What's going on? I actually wasn't a fan of that. I don't really like That to... might be nostalgia clouding my judgment. I don't like to look ahead to the episode that's going to happen. Like, a lot of TV shows will do that. I'm just like, here's what's going to happen on this episode. And I'm just like, I don't want to know that. Like, just surprise me or else I'm going to be looking for those moments of just like, that was in the opening credits. Like, uh, Battlestar Galactica used to do that, to do that in the opening th- in the opening credits and it's just like here's what's going to happen on this episode and I would skip past it because I'm like I don't want to know and so someone's going to make out are they a robot right that's everything I know about Battlestar <laughs> Galactica. Galactica for you <laughs> uh, yeah and I also think j- just to just to your point I agree with you that I think in this episode yes and in general the Arthur writers are very good at writing believable child characters in general, you know, no, nobody's perfect all the time, but I think in general this is an example of that. But there's going to come a time where that's going to, like, I know that that's true because I've seen seasons and seasons of Arthur. Like, I know that that's going to remain fairly true. So I can't, I don't want to use that as a positive too much because mm-hmm. it's like, it's almost a given at this point as far as I'm concerned. So, But it definitely, like... I think what I'm trying to say is that, like, the tone with the younger characters is different. Like, 
the way DW and hear her peers interact is distinctively uh, is well, di- different is, is than distinct. the way <laughs> it's distinct. Yeah, double negative. Well, but it's different than the way Arthur and his friends act. Yeah. And even though one's five and one's eight, um, it shows how different four, four. four and eight. Uh, it shows how different those worlds are mm-hmm. four years apart. Yeah. And I actually kind of like that. I like the detail of that. I also think I found the episode a little bit funnier maybe than you okay. did. Uh, I thought this was a real, real funny pair of two episodes. Yeah. And, of, and of course, that's just kind of my personal opinion. And it really, it's not even that I thought it was bad. I just kind of thought it was okay. And I definitely felt stronger about the first one, which I thought was excellent. So I don't. I really don't think you can go wrong with this pair of episodes. It's a, it's a great two pair, um, a real a real classic from season one. And uh, if you haven't checked it out already, you definitely should. So thanks a lot for listening to Elwood City Limits. Really appreciate you listening as always. So uh, Lucas. Uh, We're going to quickly run down the ways that, of course, you can get in touch with us. First one is Facebook. That is kind of our primary method of updating. We, uh, you know, post the episode on there. We will post screen caps and all that fun stuff. Questions as well from time to time. And we'll update you when we're going to be recording. We are also on Twitter at ECL Podcast. Some fun retweets and screen caps over there. Give us a follow. And now we're on Tumblr, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. So you can uh, find us over there. And uh, uh, some more more of that fun stuff. In fact, I'd say that's a really great way to interact if Facebook and Twitter aren't really your thing. Tumblr allows for a bit more uh, lengthier discussion. And speaking of lengthier discussion, you know where you can uh, speak to us to your heart's content? ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Send in your emails. If you'd like to, we can read them on the air. Or if not, we can uh, respond in private. Anything about this show, about Arthur, about any topics we've talked about, criticism, uh, compliments, whatever it is, we would love to hear from you. We really would. And finally, of course, to listen to the episode, you can uh, find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. And you can uh, listen to us from there, stream from there. If you have SoundCloud as an app on your phone, you can do that too. Or, of course, the old-fashioned way, iTunes. You can subscribe to us there. And, of course, once again, we really appreciate you taking the time to rate and review us over there. Please do. We've got several good reviews. We we would like your honest opinion in every sense because that's how we're going to get better. And we really love to hear from you. Lucas, before we get to your final word on the matter... Next week is going to be a little different, so uh, I actually neglected, once again, to write down the episodes in question that that come in order next with Arthur. But next week, we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different, because to next week is Christmas, for goodness sakes. And uh, we've decided that we're going to not... Uh, We are going to take a week off, but more to the end of the month. For next week, we will have a new episode, but it's not going to be us talking about an Arthur episode. We are going to be uh, basically uh, when we start recording, we usually kind of sometimes we spitball into a couple of topics here and there. And I've been collecting a couple of them. They're really funny. Like I have to say. Well, what I think you're trying to say is next week we're giving you an early Christmas present. And that present is some wacky bloopers. That's right. Well, not uh, bloopers sort of, but they are uh, side conversations that we've had very general and stuff. Uh, let us know what you think about it. And, of course, we'll be wishing you happy holidays as well.
well, and maybe a few surprises along the way as well. So we will have a regular episode, but uh, you don't have to watch. Uh, you can leave Arthur into the new year or watch to your heart's content. And uh, we will have some content for you coming up. So thank you for sticking around with us. Lucas, what do you got to say? Did Mozart give it a rest? Did the guy who wrote Ring Around the Rosie give it a rest? I don't think so, Buster. By the way, no, apparently no attribution to Ring Around the Rosie. So maybe the guy who wrote Ring Around the Rosie did give it a rest. We don't know. Seems like some kind of pagan ritual to me. <laughs> For Lucas Mancini and his pagan rituals, this is Will Young. Uh, Still don't know who wrote Ring Around the Rosie, but I'll tell you who recorded this. It's me and Lucas. Thanks a lot for listening. Get in touch with us, and we'll see you next week for Christmas.